Welcome and thank you for joining us for the Church by the Glades podcast. If you would like more information about Church by the Glades, including service times and directions, visit cbglades.com. We hope you enjoy today's message. One day Elijah went to Shanem and a well-to-do woman was there who urged him to stay for a meal. So whenever he came by, he stopped there to eat. She said to her husband, I know this man who often comes our way is a holy man of God. Let's make a small room on the roof and put in it a bed and a table, a chair and a lamp for him. Then he can stay there whenever he comes to us. One day Elisha came. He went up to his room and lay down there. He said to his servant Gehazi, call the Shunammite. So he called her and she stood before him. Elisha said to him, tell her, you have gone to all this trouble for us. Now what can be done for you? Can we speak on your behalf to the king or the commander of the army? She replied, I have a home among my own people. What can be done for her, Elisha asked. Gehazi said she has no son and her husband is old. Then Elijah said, call her. So he called her and she stood in the doorway. About this time next year, Elisha said, you will hold the son in your arms. No, my Lord, she objected. Please, man of God, don't mislead your servant. But the woman became pregnant, and the next year, about the same time, she gave birth to a son, just as Elisha had told her. The child grew, and one day he went out to his father, who was with the reapers. He said to his father, my head, my head. His father told a servant, carry him to his mother. After the servant had lifted him up and carried him to his mother, the boy sat on her lap until noon, and then he died. She went up and laid him on the bed of the man of God, then shut the door and went out. She called her husband and said, please send me one of the servants and a donkey so I can go to the man of God quickly and return. When Elijah reached the house, there was the boy lying dead on his couch. He went in, shut the door on the two of them and prayed to the Lord. Then he got on the bed and laid on the boy, mouth to mouth, eyes to eyes, hands to hands. As he stretched himself out on him, the boy's body grew warm. Elisha turned away and walked back and forth in the room and then got on the bed and stretched out on him once more. The boy sneezed seven times and opened his eyes. Elisha summoned Gehazi and said, call the Shunammite, and he did. When she came, he said, take your son. She came in, fell at his feet and bowed to the ground. Then she took her son and went out. Wow, wow, yeah, yeah, put your hands together. What a, what a, what a great story. Uh, it's not just one miracle, it's a two-for-one miracle story in the Bible. And I want to unpack that with you carefully. It is such a rich, rich text. Thank you for being here. Thank you for logging on. I know it's a crazy, busy time of year. What we have going on, though, at our church over the next few weeks, you do not want to miss. I promise you. So make sure you're here every weekend. But before we unpack this great story, if you have your Bible, 2 Kings, 2 Kings chapter 4. If you have your Bible, 2 Kings chapter 4. If you don't, I'll put the verses on the screen. But let me give you another Old Testament principle to help us understand what God's doing in this miracle story. I love Proverbs 29, verse 18, on the screen right now. I love what it says, uh, where there is no... Yeah, you read the highlighted part. Where there is no vision, the people perish. Let me explain vision. Vision is God's powerful, pervasive, profound, personal 
purpose for your life. I love the fact the Bible teaches that God has given his cosmic unlimited genius to mapping out a supernatural script with your name on it. That is so exciting. And life really becomes an adventure when you begin to pursue and embrace God's purpose or his vision for your life. And I love it's individual. I love he's a God who customizes us for all of us. It's unique. So God's purpose for you is different than his purpose for me. But I'm telling you, his purposes are powerful and supernatural and eternal. And when you stop chasing down your little dreams, your little purposes, and go after God's vision, life becomes exciting. But what this verse teaches, though God is very individualistic, God has a personal purpose for your life or personal vision. Uh, He has one for us corporately as well, where there is no vision. The people perish. So it's vital that a church understands God's vision. In fact, I think maybe the second most important thing I do as your pastor is, number one is this, teach the Word of God. We love, like one excited person, you and me, girl, you and me, we teach the Word of God, amen? That's that's a big deal. We love the Bible, and so I teach the Bible, and I work hard at that. I will show up every weekend, and whether it's me or Charlie or Nick or Scott or whoever, we show up loaded for bear. So you come ready to learn from God's Word. That's one, but one A, just behind one, is to spend time as your pastor in prayer and in scripture, seeking to capture and then communicate God's vision for our church. If you allow me a minute, uh, I've found in my career, the decades I've had doing this, when a church loses its passion for God's vision, a couple of bad things happen. Number one, that church will always drift away from the Great Commission. So we're supposed to have this fixation, this obsession with making disciples of all nations. The last two verses of Matthew's gospel is what the king told us to do. But I find churches that lose this vision start to drift into all these other causes and issues and whatever and get really distracted and sometimes get very selfish. The other thing I see with churches that lose a sense of God's vision is they lose a generation. They lose the young people. And there's churches all around America, whether it's like you don't want to see any millennials or any Gen Z people. I love, my favorite thing about our church is it's diverse. And I don't mean just racially diverse, it is. It's generationally diverse. I love, we have all these excellent young guns in our church. But the crazy thing is, the older I get, the younger y'all get. I'm not sure what's going on there. We have every generation. But I don't know a single church in America that says, you know, who cares about young people? No, like, where do the young people go to? It's a vision issue. So vision is personal, but it's corporate as well. And I want to show you, sometimes vision is expressed in places that might surprise you, like the one we're going to see in this story. In fact, the thing I'm going to talk about today, I'm going to talk about today the idea of generosity. Generosity. Now, if you're a guest, listen, we're not that church. We don't teach on generosity very often. Typically, it's one or two times a year. But it's a topic you see throughout the Bible. I mean, generosity shows up as early as Genesis chapter 4. Like right after Adam and Eve and sin, generosity shows up. It shows up early in the Bible, and all the great heroes of the Bible have taught or practiced generosity. Abraham was generous, and Moses talked about generosity, and King David and King Solomon, hyper-generous individuals. In the New Testament, Jesus celebrates uh, this little woman who gave two pennies. And the disciples overlooked it, and Jesus freaked out, like, whoa, look at what she gave, that's incredible. The disciples thinking, Lord, that's not going to float the budget here at the temple at all. But Jesus thought it was so remarkable, not the amount, but she gave not just two pennies, but her last two pennies. 
It was an incredible personal sacrifice and demonstration of faith. And then, like in the book of Acts, we see Christians uh, liquidating homes and property and bringing the proceeds to the disciples. Why? To be the financial fuel for spreading the faith of Jesus Christ around the world. So generosity is throughout the Bible. But the reason for the season is we understand it is a time we celebrate the birthday of the king. The birthday. It says lots of things we do at Christmas. In fact, billions of people... Not all Christians, as they celebrate Christmas, they're actually celebrating the birth of Christ, the birth of the King. But we get it. We understand. But here's the crazy thing. This is a time of year that everyone, almost everyone's generous. Even people who are not naturally generous people, like I would confess, I'm not naturally a generous person. I'm conservative. I'm frugal. Lisa, Lisa's very generous. I am not. The way most marriages are, one's a spender, one's a saver. Amen? Amen? By the way, if two spenders marry each other, Financial Peace University in January. That, that's because that's, that's terrible. That's awesome. Uh, anyway, so, uh, so I'm not naturally generous. But even people like me this time of year, I'm generous. I buy nice gifts for the people I love. Like I'll, I'll buy something nice for my kids. I'll buy something, of course, nice for my wife. And I should. Right, ladies, thank you. Guys, get her something nice. Not an appliance, Okay. All right, get her something nice. Uh, and, and so people who are not generous, we get generous this one time a year. But here's the crazy thing. As Christian people, we're generous with everybody else, and we ignore or do something small and token for the birthday boy. That makes no sense. Y'all staring at me. Okay, pretend, pretend uh, your birthday, your birthday, your birthday is such a big deal. Your birthday is that people all around the world celebrate your birthday. I don't know your birthday is July 23rd. July 23rd is your birthday. So like everybody's off work on July 23rd. And your favorite color is purple. We decorate our homes in purple because it's your birthday. And, and then well, we gather and have an amazing meal of your favorite foods, by the way. I don't hear lasagna, pizza, cheeseburgers. On the occasion of the 23rd at, in purple because it's your birthday. Right, because you're such a big deal. And then we say, I, I invite you, because you are the person it's all about, to my house for the celebration with my family and friends. We have this epic meal, and you're at the table. And then, because it is your birthday, in a moment of lavish generosity, we give gifts to each other and ignore you. Hey, how logical is that? You, you, you'd be like, uh, oh, excuse me, my birthday. My birthday. See, Christmas is not my wife's birthday. It's not my kid's birthday. It's not my birthday. Christmas is not your birthday unless you're born on the 25th of December. It's the king's birthday. Why, 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 as a Christian saved person who loves the Lord, why should I give? Why should I give? Well, a couple reasons quickly. One, it is baseline Christianity 101 obedience. We are literally commanded, imperative. Thank, thank you, man. One guy clapping, just you and me. Man, I'll preach to you the whole, whole Sunday morning. I, we're commanded without the Bible. One way I express my love and faith in the Lord is I'm commanded to be generous. I'm commanded to bring the tithe. Right? So, so obedience, same way you want your children to obey you, I should obey the Father and his word. I love you all staring at me. Shake it off. No guilt, no guilt, no guilt. Better reason, blessing. Blessing. Some of those audacious promises of God's willingness to bless our lives begin with the faith action step of generosity. When I trust God enough to release resources into his kingdom work, 
Some of the coolest promises in the Bible are attached to generosity. I would say only second to placing faith in Christ for salvation, which, by the way, you can do that today as well. All right? Let me show you one. So that verse says, you know, don't give under compulsion. That's verse 7. Uh, right behind verse 7, of course, we have verse 8. So it says, no, do not give reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheer. He wants you to do this because you like it. You want to. Because you're happy about it. Because there's a joy built into it. But look at the promise. And God, who's able to bless you. And look at the description. You can clap at that. So that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you abound it. Well, I don't want any of that. I don't want God. I don't want God releasing that kind of resources. And, I, and listen, if I, if I probably handle this correctly today, because I do want you guys, Christians, your faith action tip is probably to resource the greatest gift offering. I, I should probably press in on that, but I'm not going to press in on that. Uh, but blessing is a great reason to give. Blessing, and there's like a half dozen powerful verses. Malachi 3.10, uh, Proverbs chapter 3, verses 9 and 10, how God promises if you're generous and faithful with your finances, God will bless you. Doesn't mean you get a check in the mail or you win the lottery, though it could be something like that. It could be tangible. Sometimes the best blessings of God in my life are the intangibles. It's like my kids are healthy and love Jesus and they're smart. Uh, I love stuff like that, you know, uh, the marriage, the fact we have this great church. So I can't put a price tag on those things. But other times it is financial. And so all these promises, uh, Matthew chapter 6 is one. I, I'll just I'll show you one more for the sake of the conversation. Uh, Luke chapter 6, verse 38. This is a Jesus promise, a Jesus promise. A, so ratchet up the credibility as high as it can go. When I say three, I want you to shout the first word. One, two, three. Give. Give. He just says, here's your action step. Here's my command. Give. But God is so good, there's a whole lot more to the verse. Give and it will be given to you. How? A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. It's not proportional. God didn't say, give me a thousand, and I'll give you a thousand. No, he said, man, I got so much more resources than you. God says, I have so much more, and I'm more generous than you. Just trust me, my child, and give. So here's one of the few times I'm allowed to have healthy self-interest in the Bible. I do this, by the way. I, I give. I'm, I'm frugal, but I give. Why? I want every blessing heaven has for me. I want all of it. I want, all, I want every blessing. And by the way, y'all, that does not make me selfish. That makes me smart. I'm not sure how it works. Some of y'all might get to heaven someday because you did not do this. There's going to be all these, like, maybe they look like Christmas gifts, these giant raft gifts. Like, what are all these, God? What's going on? Oh, that's all the things I want to bless you with on the earth. But you missed the first word. In Luke 6.38, you didn't give, or you just kind of gave occasionally. So blessing, blessing. But blessing is not the best reason. A better reason is baked in to this story. I, I know it seems like a story about a miracle, about this kid and whatever, uh, but the best reason is baked in the story. It is vision. It is vision. When you give, seeking nothing in return. But what God is doing in the world or in your city just captures your heart. And you're like, I, I got to be a part of this. I got to be Vision is so catalytic and so powerful. So here is the vision. So every year we do this, we typically find some outside call, something outside the walls of our church we want to bless or help a resource. This year it's obvious. God has given us the opportunity to help rebuild one of the great ministries in Broward County. When I was a young man, high school, in college, the turf-taking dynamic church in Broward County was First Baptist Church of Fort Lauderdale. I can't tell you the tens of thousands that church was reaching. It's an amazing deal. Some of y'all have not 
been around. So for five months, we've been in a partnership with First Baptist. Now we're actually technically one unified church that presents as two churches. So they're kind of part of our family. I know it's weird, but it's, it's really cool. But this church that was like amazing and powerful uh, has gone through some hard times and difficult times. It has some of the stupid stuff churches do, disunity and division and church politics, all that terrible stuff. And a church that once ran thousands was down to 200. And God called us to step in. So I, I've been over there half the time, and our staff's going back and forth. And some of y'all have volunteered and gone over there to serve. And what we're seeing God do in these first months has been remarkable. The church is already back to the numbers it was running five years ago. We're seeing people come to Christ. It is, it is so, we've renovated and rebuilt the original auditorium. We have a long way to go. What we're doing right now is we're trying to renovate their main room. Their main room was decimated by that thousand-year flood that hit downtown. And so it flooded their auditorium. And it was already eating, it, way out of style and it needed, needed an update badly. So we're in there and we're renovating that right now as we speak. And it, it takes resources. So listen, thank you. Some of y'all are coming to visit over there. Thank you. I, I need some of y'all to visit just on, on a regular basis. Come out there. Bring the energy. Bring the passion of what we have here. Some of you guys pray about making that your campus for the first three months of 2024. Why? Because we want that big room to be ready at Easter, which is in March. Come help us build the, the 1130 service feels just like CV Glades. The, the room we renovated feels just like CV. So I need some of y'all just make it your church for a while. See, here's what we're, you know, God has been so good to us. If you're new around here, this church ain't normal. In mainly good ways, mainly good ways. By God's grace, and by the way, when I came here 25 years ago, it's 25 years ago last month, uh, this church was small and broken and dysfunctional and had division, and we've watched God resurrect this church, and now this church is this church, and one of the largest churches in the state, one of the fastest growing churches in America, and what we're doing is so blessed, but we've got to be good stewards, and I think God has called us to take what he's doing here and go to the east side. I want the reach of our church to be from the glades to the waves. And so what an opportunity we have. But the crazy thing is, it's not just the history and tradition of this church, the location, the location. It's right on Broward Boulevard, just east of US-1. It's the most important church real estate on the eastern seaboard. We cannot lose this church. So that's why I need your help. So you may stop clapping in a moment. We're looking to raise $7 million. Oh, some of y'all are clapping. Thank you. Thank you. Now, listen, we have big needs and small needs. We have needs as big as this. And some, some, some things that don't, no one gets motivated about. We have to spend $1.5 million on air conditions because their air conditions are all 35 years old. They don't work, right? Do you want to go to church without AC? No. But no one gets excited about something you cannot see. At the same time, we need to buy 2,500 theater chairs like this, $291 a piece, right? That's something a little smaller, right? So listen, we all have different abilities. I mean, some of y'all have money, a lot of money. Some of us have very little money, right? Remember, Jesus was excited about a woman who gave two pennies. I don't know how much money you have. I just judge you based on your cars in the parking lot. I just, I just that's what I do. I judge, oh, a nice car, probably have money. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. But I, I, when you get a vision for what this can mean for our city, because downtown's exploding population-wise, building all these giant condos. It used to be, you know, the condo was from, like, grandma from New Jersey. Now it's young families. It's young professionals. Oh, my, the potential, the potential of this. But I get it. It's not our church. It's another church. 
So I've raised my, my kids in this church. We've worshiped in this room. We've been part of the student ministry here, right? Kids ministry here. Why would I take, why? Vision. Let me finally get to it quickly, a quick uh, diagnostic. I can't read the whole thing, I don't have time. But this remarkable story we find in the Bible, 2 Kings chapter 4, about this woman and what she does and the miracle we, we heard. And by the way, I didn't pick a money story. I didn't pick one of those great verses on God's willingness to bless us. You know, uh, Malachi 3.10, bring the whole tithe to the temple storehouse, declares the Lord, and trust me in this, if I will not open up the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing. You have room. I, didn't, I didn't pick one of those. This story is kind of baked in. You've got to be smart to see the generosity. Because it's a resurrection story. And resurrections are the rarest and most wonderful miracles in all the Bible. There's only ten. Seven in the New Testament. Most important is Jesus, of course. And there are three in the Old Testament. This is one of these precious, rare, miracle moments in the Old Testament. It's this little boy. And again, I just jumped to it. But I'm going to show you. The key element is this woman is willing to be wonderfully generous. It begins... One day, Elisha, not Elijah, Elisha, the, the, his, his predecessor was Elijah, he's, he's a prophet, went to Shunem. Shunem is the city. It's the city of the village. It's in the tribe of Issachar. And I know you've never heard of Shunem before. It's not a famous town like Jerusalem or Bethlehem or Samaria, but Shunem. And it says, and a well-to-do woman was there who urged him to stay for a meal, right? So let me break this down. So Elisha is a prophet of God, a prophet of God, and that's a big deal in this time in the history of God's people. Why? The Bible's not been written yet. The only Bible they have is the Torah, the first five books. Now, they're writing some of the rest of it right now while he lives, but the only part recognized as sacred scripture. By the way, I preach sermons for smart people. So right now, look at your neighbor. Look at your neighbor. Look at your neighbor. Check them out. Do they look smart? Oh, they look smart. Ready, right? Probably got a perfect score in their... SAT, thank you. I couldn't even think of that. I, couldn't think, I, didn't, I obviously did not get a perfect score. So uh, uh, anyway, so the prophet comes to Shunem, and, and, and this woman, this woman, she's well-to-do, well-to-do. That's the NIV translation. But I like the translation better in the King James. It says, she's great. She's great. When I say three, shout the word great. One, two, three. Great. See, the first translation says she's rich. It's great, wonderful. It's awesome to be rich. Some rich people are great. Some rich people are generous and kind and selfish. But there's some rich people who are terrible. There's some rich people who are selfish and evil, man. There, there's, there's traffickers that are rich, right? But she's great. She's more than just well-to-do. She's kind. She's godly. You're going to see she's wonderfully unselfish. So the prophet of God, and this is before the Bible has been completed. So the prophet of God represents the word of God. And all the many issues, not in, in Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, or Deuteronomy, all these are issues... God will raise up a generational prophet, one of the famous ones, like, like Elijah or Isaiah or Jeremiah. And they are the voice of God. They are such a big deal. When they come to your city, it's like God himself has shown up. They represent the word of God, the power of God, and the presence of God. Right? So she invites this man who came to Shunem, her city, to enjoy a meal. And then she has this idea after the meal. And the idea, I think, is brilliant. On the screen right now, verse 9, verse 10, she said to her husband, I'm sure... This man who comes here so often is a holy man. Let's, let's build a small room on the roof, so like a, an addition, a second story, and we'll furnish it with a table and a chair and a lamp. So whenever he visits, so this is, this is smart. Now why, 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 why is she doing this? Vision. She didn't say, hey, this guy, he's God connected. He might pray for us and God might give us stuff. God never commands her to do this. But she has a vision. What's the vision? Again, I told you, the, the man of God's a big deal. The man of God brings the word of God. And she's the smart, you know. 
you know, my city, Shunem's not a famous city like Jerusalem. But if I build him a room, the man of God bringing the word of God might come to my city more often and stay longer. That's smart, isn't it? That's smart. He's going to build a room. Now, now, husbands, husbands, here's the smart thing the husband does. He says nothing. Sometimes, sometimes, don't look at me that way, brother. Sometimes we just need to just keep our mouth shut, right? Because she has this idea. I do think it's important because sometimes when God lays something in your heart to be generous, someone will try to talk you down from your generosity. He doesn't say, oh, honey, that's going to be so expensive. It's going to cost so much money. He's talking about a whole, like, second story. First, are you kidding me? Now, the Bible doesn't say how much it costs. And by the way, maybe you're a contractor. You can estimate it. You can guess. I'm not. I, I go to Home Depot. I break out in the hives. I'm not that guy. I don't, I don't know. Like, I, I'm so confused. I watch HGTV with my wife sometimes to be a good husband, and I don't know how they do it. Chip and Joanna can renovate a 3,000-square-foot home for $17.50. I, I, I found in my experience anything like this is expensive. Anything in our home is expensive. So we don't know how expensive it was, but it was expensive. This is generous. We don't know how much it costs, but we know why. She wanted to see the Word of God Come to her city. Brilliant. She did not build this room on her property, on top of her house, for herself. She built it for the man of God to do the work of God in her city. In fact, the way I know for certain she didn't, uh, verse 11 on the screen right now, verse 11 says, uh, one day, one day, Elisha came, right? He's probably coming all the time now, by the way. Uh, you don't know this. Prophets didn't tend to have a home. They lived under the stars. They were nomadic. They, they were itinerants. He probably sleeps out there. He probably gets rained on sometimes. Mosquitoes. But now he has a room with a bed, right, and furniture. I bet he's coming all the time now. It says one time he went to his room and he lay down. I love that the man of God is resting in the habitation her generosity constructed. And while he's laying there, kind of semi-sleeping, he has a thought in verse 13. Verse 13 is on the screen right now. I love how brilliant this is. Verse 13, Elijah said to his servant, you know, tell her, you've gone to all this trouble for us. Now what can be done for you? Can we talk to the king or commander? Blah, 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 blah. All right, all right. What can be done for you? Right? Hey, listen, I know you didn't ask for anything. You know, I got a connection, you know, right? You didn't ask for anything, anything. Hey, listen, I'm just, here, look at this beautiful room you made. You've been so good. You feed us. And by the way, it was probably a room big enough because he traveled with a small entourage. There's like a tribe of it. So maybe it's big enough for five or six men. What can we do for you? And she says, I, I have a home among my own people. That's Bible code for I'm good. I have a home. I have people who love me. I'm, I'm good. You're like, dang right she's good. You said she's rich. Probably had a big old nice house, you're thinking. Probably had the best chariot in town. She's respected, reputation. Of course she's good. Oh, guess what? Everybody has something, right? Yeah. Everybody has a problem. Everybody has a struggle. You're envious. You're jealous because look at the neighborhood. Look at his wife is so pretty. Those kids, they're so well behaved. They go to that school. It's a private school. Oh, my God. They're a member of the country. Everybody has something. And so she says, I'm good. I'm fine. I did not do this for you to bless me. She's awesome, by the way. She's awesome. By the way, we never get her name. She does all this with anonymity. I love this woman. But the servant says, hey, 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 boss, boss, Mr. Prophet, sir, the servant of Elisha says they've never had kids. And I know through the vine they always wanted to have kids. And that's sad when a couple wants to have a family and they just can't have a family. 
And the Bible gives us the biblical detail, by the way. They're old. They're old. In fact, it says the husband's old. It says, but her husband is old. Brothers, that's code. That's code again in the Bible for he's like, he's old. I mean, like, when it comes to having kids, he's too old. You tracking with me? Viagra has not yet been invented. Now you tracking with me? And so she had a dream. He had a dream. They first got married. They were going to have a family. We're going to have kids, sons and daughters. We're going to have a family. It's going to be amazing, right? But it just never happened. But they have all these other great things. She's like, I'm, I'm good. I got my people. I have my home. Mr. Prophet, I'm fine. And the prophet says, well, guess what? Guess what? God, God will not be in debt to you. You didn't ask for anything, but my God is so generous. A year from now, you're going to hold a son in your arms. And if you read, reread the whole thing, um, and she says, she says, stop it. Says, don't get my hopes up. Don't, don't treat me like that. It's never happened. I'm, I'm older. He's real old. I just, it's not going to happen. Not going to happen. And then, uh, so, you know, that's a year. So baby takes, what, nine months, right? Nine months. And so maybe the prophet's there because he, he's coming all the time now because she built him a room. And so maybe it's four months later, and uh, he brings some of his guys. They spend the nights so next morning. And she's so kind, she's making breakfast. She's making breakfast for everybody. She's making some pancakes and some waffles over here and scrambled eggs. And all of a sudden, when she's making breakfast, she's like, Excuse me. She, she runs to the bathroom, comes back. Oh, I'm so sorry. I apologize. I'm just so nauseous lately. I must have the flu. She's never had morning sickness. Prophet just smiles, says nothing. Comes back a few weeks later, like, oh my gosh, I'm gaining weight. I'm retaining water. My, my feet are swelling. I, I don't know what's up with my body right now. My body's doing weird things. He just smiles. Then maybe it's a couple months later, and he comes to the door this time, and he, the woman greets him, and the husband greets him, and they just smile without saying anything. They hug him, and he knows. They now know she's pregnant. I don't know how it unfolded. All between the verse, I'm making this part up. I'm sure it went down something like that. <laughs> in fact, I'm thinking like, you know, like month seven in the pregnancy, he shows up, because now he's showing up all the time. Why? Because she built him a room. Didn't build herself a room. She never goes in the room, maybe to clean it. That room's for him, for his work, for the purpose of God. But it's like month number seven, the pregnancy, and he comes there, and this time, you know, the husband and wife, they, they, they greet him, and they reach out and take his old weathered hand and puts the hand of the prophet on her belly, and the prophet feels the baby kick. And this time, he tears up, because our God is so generous, our God is so good, he will not be beholding to you. And a year later, a dream that had died, she'd given up on a family, she's holding a baby boy. She's changing diapers because she built a room. Now someone's going, okay, David, hey, my, I, 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 not to put a damper on this, everybody, pastor, but doesn't the kid die? Doesn't the kid die? The kid does die. The, the kid dies. See, one of the reasons I believe my Bible is things like this, that the kid dies. The Bible is so balanced. It's not just, hey, if you love God, you pray and you give. Woo, rainbows and hummingbirds. No, no, like you see generosity here. You see faith here. You see unselfishness here. You see a miracle. You see blessing. And then you see heartache, devastating heartache. You see, you see pain because the boy dies. But don't sleep on the details and the Bible. Let me break it down, break it down, because I have a little time to study this great passage. A couple of details. So, so the kid, as he is about to die, he says to his father, because he's out in the field. Did you catch that part of the story? Out in the field, helping his dad out. He says, my head, my head. But dad's a dad. He says, boy, rub some dirt on it. Now, basically, because he, he sends the boy back to the house with a servant. If the dad had any idea how severe this was, life and death, he'd take the boy to the doctor in the city. 
right? But he sends him to, because he didn't understand. The boy was sunstroke, probably dying. But moms, man, moms, moms are so smart. Mom understood the moment she saw that boy. And we know he's not 16. He's probably more like six. Because the Bible says she holds him as he's dying on her lap. And the dream dies in her arms. And then the Bible says when the boy dies, she tells no one. She, tells, she doesn't say a word. That's strange to me. I mean, Lisa and I, we share everything, you know, big and small. This is, this is huge. Why? Why does she not tell her husband? I think she does not tell her husband because the husband's old. And he misdiagnosed the situation. If he heard this, it would kill him, literally. And she doesn't. She goes all the way. She's a saddle a donkey. And the servants, their servants, their staff, they saddle a donkey because she's rich. And uh, she won't tell the servant of the prophet. She can't even tell the prophet at first. And, and the prophet doesn't know what's going on. So Elisha's saying, God's not showing what's, what's going on, but she, she's devastated. And finally, when she can speak, she says, I've never asked for this. I told you not to raise my hopes. Why would you give me a son, then God take him away? And if you're a parent, this will mess you up. Some of you parents, you've been through this. But she had faith. She had faith. David, where's the faith? All the time she does, express her doubt. This won't happen. Don't raise my hope. Get, you know what the faith is? She built him a room. See, here's a biblical detail I love. When the little boy dies, she takes his body and does not put his body in the little boy's room, doesn't put the body in her bedroom. She climbs up the stairs and puts the body of the boy in the room that she made for the prophet. She never invades that room. And there the little boy rests in that room, right? R-I-P, he's dead. The Bible says his skin is now cold. No animation. He's dead, dead, dead. R-I-P. You think R-I-P means what? Rest in peace. But in this story, it means no. Resting in that place. See, that's her faith. Don't miss the environment of the miracle. She puts the little boy in the habitation. She built, not for herself, her own place. She built for the blessing of God. And when Elisha finally arrives, he says, where's the boy? He's not in his room or your room. He's in my room. And he goes up there, and the Bible says he prays nothing. He prays and he paces. Sometimes you've got to pray more than once. He prays and he paces and he prays again, and God breathes life in that boy. He stepped into utter devastation. Her dream had been destroyed. There that little boy was dead. Her breathless blessing, her motionless promise, no breath, no heartbeat, no pulse, in fact, I'll say to encourage old people sometime, if you got a purpose, excuse me, if you got a pulse, God has a purpose. This time, God didn't need the pulse. And resurrection life invades the body of that boy, but don't miss the fact it happened in that room. She did not build the room for herself, but God is so good and God is so generous. So I'm asking you, Glaze, to help build a room at another church. And you might not ever go there. But this room is not for us. This room is for the purposes of God. It's not about us or our blessing. It's about the vision that God has given us. It is time to build the room. That church, when you go, it's awesome people. But you know who's missing? Young people. They missed out on God's vision. You won't see the Z's and the millennials. But last Saturday night, oh my gosh, rally came into one of those rooms. And rally, I got a picture of the rally meeting. It was Full to the rafters. The most people we've seen in anything. Rally is 30-year-olds and under. Y'all, it's time to get the room ready. Okay. The few people clapping are probably parents. Because parents recognize 
everything, especially everyone you love, cost you money. I have three awesome kids who are smart and beautiful and love the Lord. I'm so proud of them. And Victoria, you and your brothers are so expensive. So expensive. I think I bought you breakfast today, man. So expensive. I did. Yes, I did. Thank you for that, right? They're so expensive. She's in grad school. That's expensive. I thought when she finished college, I'd be done. But no, don't clap. Clap for me. Right? Oh, expensive. And your kids, you ever one time ever think about eBay and one of your kids? Nope. Right? You just, you just know they're expensive. All right. So anything or anyone, even the things. Like, like if you're a pet person, when I say three, make noise. Ready? One, two, three. Okay, right now the Hughes family, I'm kind of happy we're, we're pet free. We're pet free because... Pets are, are great, but they're a lot of trouble. So we've had a dog, we've had fish, and we've had turtles. And the, the most unusual pet was we had a parrot. We had this beautiful, not like a little parakeet, big, like eclectus parrot. She was beautiful. She was uh, scarlet and cobalt blue. And uh, this is when you guys were little, Victoria. Her name was Ruby, and everybody loved the family parrot. Weird pet, but we loved the parrot. Well, back in the, we were back in the original building, the OWC. This is uh, back you know, so over 10, 12 years ago. Um, you, you and your brother are like, Six and seven. And everything happens to preachers on the weekend. I was doing seven services. So we come home after the two Saturday night services, and there in the bottom of the cage, the bird's just rolling around, flapping her. On her back, we're like, what is wrong with the bird? So Lisa hops online, Google's like, oh, it's a sick bird. And then she hops online, she finds a vet that specializes in birds that has 24-hour uh, entry or whatever access. Thank you. Thank you. And so, man, and here's all this drama because we love the bird. I mean, I'm sad. I love the bird. Lisa's sad. But the kids are devastated. Is Ruby going to die? Is Ruby? They're crying. Ruby, Ruby's going to die. And so Lisa said, honey, you got five services tomorrow. They start early. I will take the bird to the vet. So we got like a little cage and put Ruby in the cage. And Lisa's walking out the door. Can you envision this, parents? We've never had a pet die before. So it's all this like angst and emotion. And the kids are crying and everything. And I'm upset too. I'm upset too. And Lisa's taking the bird to the vet. I hope the bird survives. And then Lisa. Lisa says something so inappropriate. <laughs> she says something so shocking. So she, she didn't say it loudly. She whispered to me. She goes, oh, honey, honey, how much? <laughs> Some of y'all don't understand. Because you've not been to a vet. I've had friends spend tens of thousands of dollars on their dog. We had a dog. If the bill's going to be $10,000, that'd be done. The Bible say all dogs should go to heaven because I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not doing that. I'm not doing that. Sorry. You can judge me. I don't care. I'm not doing that. I'm not doing that. And so, Lisa, I couldn't believe I was shocked. I, how, look at the kids cry. Look, I was appalled. Could not believe. She said, how much? And what really surprised me was I had a number. <laughs> I'm like, oh, oh, wow, yeah, yeah. Gosh, gosh. And so we whisper, whisper, like the bird hears us. We whisper, like, she had a number, I had a number, she had a number, I had a number. Because, you know, spouses, she had a number. And finally we said, okay, here's the, here's the number. And listen, the vet bill, we asked her who brought the bird there, did not exceed the number, so we're good. But if it had been higher, it had been, oh, bye-bye, birdie, right? Just. <laughs> now, listen, 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 stay with me, stay with me, stay with me. This is where I want to land this thing. Let's tweak that story, and it's not the family pet going to the vet, it's one of my three kids on a gurney with the paramedics. And life or death, sick. And one of the paramedics said to me, uh, Mr. Hughes, uh, how much? Parents, do you have a number? Here's my number, sir. All of it. 
I'll empty the bank account. I, I will liquidate my, my retirement, our stocks, all of it. I'll sell the house right now. I'll give you the keys to my car. That is my child. I love all of it. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Jesus said your treasure and your heart, they always track together. I'm going to pray for you. Father God, I pray for an adventure. I pray for some conversations. I pray for some stretching of our faith. And God, we believe you called us as a church to get the room ready. We're going to say yes. We make this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for listening to this week's message. We hope you enjoyed the podcast today. To hear more messages like this, make sure you subscribe and share with your friends. Don't forget to stay connected with us by following us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at CBGlades at Pastor D. Hughes.